Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Hello, hello, hello. Uh, oops. My name is Police Constable Arsenal Guinness of the Metropolitan Plot. Assigned by Her Majesty the Queen, God bless you, Mom, to ensure that the great British public are protected from the bogus booze, fake fizz, and hooky hooch what is knocking about. For your safety, myself, the Sarge, and 52 of the plod's finest self-taught alcohol inspectors, according to section 2012, blah blah blah, etc., of the Grog What We Knit Act, we have removed from sale these 8,000 illegal and highly dangerous cans of counterfeit Guinness, all of which I am personally overseeing their destruction. Therefore, I am too busy to advertise whatever pointless pep Michael is flogging this week. Oh. So who's going to tell the audience about the new, exclusive and limited edition official Murky Miler badges which I've just made, which are only available through my merch shop and come with a personalised handwritten thank you card from me, as well as Murder Mile badges, stickers and a fridge magnet? Um, I think you just did, Sunshine. Oh yeah. Hurrah for Police Constable Arsenal Guinness! An honest copper who keeps our streets safe, fights crime, and protects us all from dodgy drinks. You are welcome. <clears throat> Evening all. And with the new multi-part series dribbling into your hearing hole super soon, like two sections of a ship's hull, you can expect to be riveted. Ha 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 But before that, there's this. Friends, welcome to Minimile, your indispensable compendium of UK true crime trivia. This week, we'll ask, are most murderers born under a full moon? Can your corpse be identified by a single strand of hair? What ways can you plead in court? Who's a famous naughty boy then? We'll read a card from Myra Hindley, and we'll dip into London's bloodiest love nest. 
And with only two weeks, weeks. till Murder Mile's new multi-part series, here's this week's episode of Mini Mile. So, let's kick things off with a little How Do You Do? By learning more about some infamous murderers and serial killers on a more social level. This week, moon phases. Are more murderers born under a full moon? Oh! What a fucking stupid question, you're probably asking. Serial killers aren't werewolves. They're not myths. They're real people. So how can being born under a full moon turn a child into a murderer? Well, with the exception of our deaths, our birth is one of the most traumatic events in our life, none of which we have any control over, and thankfully, almost all of it we forget. But a child's development can be affected not just by this huge physical and emotional trauma, but also by microscopic factors, such as starvation of oxygen, the compression of the skull, deprivation of nutrients in the amniotic fluid, as well as, it is said, the side effects from alcohol, cigarettes and drugs, to name but a few. All of our lives are affected by things we take for granted. Oxygen, food, water and light. But also, the moon plays a huge part in our lives. It regulates our sleep, our mood and our energy, as well as the tides, the wind and, more importantly, the moon controls our planet's gravity. And although gravity appears stable, more people are born and die at either 3am or 3pm during a period called the ebb tide, where the Earth's gravity peaks owing to the position of the moon. So, could something as powerful affect the psychological development of a child's brain during one of the most traumatic events in his or her lifetime? Just to say, this is not a scientific study. It's a look into something interesting by myself, using a random sample of 32 of the UK and the USA's most infamous serial killers and murderers, chosen entirely at random. So. The lunar cycle has four distinct phases. A full moon, which is when the moon is big, bright and round. A new moon, when there is no moon and the sky is entirely dark. The first quarter, which is a half moon on its way to being a full moon, and the third quarter, which is a half moon on its way to being a new moon or no moon. Simply for speed and to save on confusion, I've eliminated waxing and waning crescents. And this is what I found. Dennis Nielsen, the kindly killer, was born exactly between two phases, the first quarter and a full moon. John Wayne Gacy, the killer clown, was born exactly on the day of a new moon. Fred West, the Cromwell Street killer, was born nearest to but not on a first quarter. Peter Sutcliffe, the Yorkshire Ripper, was born nearest to a new moon. Ted Bundy, the crazy lady's pin-up, was born nearest to a new moon. Richard Ramirez, the night stalker, was born nearest to a new moon. Anthony Hardy, The Camden Ripper was born exactly between a new moon and the first quarter. Colin Ireland, dubbed the Gay Slayer, was born nearest to a full moon. 
Orville Lynn Majors, the deadly nurse, was born exactly between the first quarter and a full moon. David Berkowitz, the son of Sam, was born nearest to a full moon and a third quarter. Derek Bird, the Cumbria shooter, was born exactly on the day of a full moon. Michael Ryan of the Hungerford Massacre, he was born nearest to a third quarter. Ed Gein was born exactly on the day of a first quarter. Ian Brady, the Moors murderer, was born nearest to a new moon. Harold Shipman, a.k.a. Dr. Death, was born exactly between a first quarter and a full moon. Jeffrey Dahmer, the Milwaukee cannibal, was born exactly between a third quarter and a new moon. Joel Rifkin, a.k.a. Joel the Ripper, was born exactly between a first quarter and a full moon. John George Haig, the acid bath murderer, was born nearest to a first quarter. Albert DeSalvo, the Boston Strangler, was born nearest to a third quarter. Halfway through, deep breath. <gasps> right, keep going. Edmund Kemper, big old Ed Kemper, the six foot eight serial killer from last week, was born nearest to a full moon, but not on a full moon. Myra Hindley, the Moore's murderer, born nearest to a first quarter. Beverly Allett was born nearest to a full moon. Rose West, born nearest to a third quarter. Aileen Warnos, born nearest to a full moon. Cynthia Kaufman, born nearest to a full moon. Dorothea Puento, born nearest to a new moon. Faye Copeland, born nearest to a new moon. Janie Lou Gibbs, born nearest to a new moon. Judy Buiano, born exactly on the day of a new moon. Kimberly Clark Saints, born nearest to a full moon. Kristen Gilbert, born exactly between a first quarter and a full moon. And Velma Barfield was born exactly on the day of a new moon. <gasps> Deep breath, everyone. That was a lot, wasn't it? There was a lot of stats, but don't worry about that. It was a lot to take in, but I'm going to give you a very interesting recap. Okay, so out of 32 serial killers and murderers chosen at random, as just mentioned, only one person... Derek Bird, who was the Cumbria shooter, the taxi driver who went on a killing spree in the north of England, only he was born exactly on the day of a full moon. That may seem interesting, but given that a moon cycle is roughly around 28 days uh, around the Earth, statistically that's about average. Uh, and yet, three of these murderers and serial killers were born exactly on a new moon. That was John Wayne Gacy, Velma Barfield, and Judy Bruyano. With one of these serial killers, Ed Gein, born exactly on the day of a first quarter. And yet, none of them were born exactly on the day of a third quarter. Of course, given that this is a very small sample, this could just be, statistically, an anomaly. So, out of those 32 serial killers and murderers, eight were born exactly on the day between two moon phases. That was Dennis Nielsen, Anthony Hardy, Orville Lynn Majors, David Berkowitz, Joel Rifkin, Jeffrey Dahmer, Harold Shipman and Kristen Gilbert. Which, again, it may seem interesting, but even statistically, that is about average, given the amount of moon phases. But, of those eight born exactly between two moon phases that means exactly dead center right in the middle on the day between those two moon phases five of them 
were born under a full moon. And that was Dennis Nielsen, Orville Lynn Majors, Harold Shipman, Kristen Gilbert and Joel Rifkin. With only five of them under the first quarter, two under a new moon and two under a third quarter. So, if you add all the data that we've had together and you include all of the people who were born between two moon phases, this is what the data looks like. Out of 32 people, 13 of them were born on or near a full moon. 12 were born on or near a new moon. 10 were born on or near a first quarter. And 5 were born on or near a third quarter. That means that almost three times as many serial killers and murderers are born on or near a new or full moon than under a half moon. So, could there be a correlation between the weaker gravity of the crescent moon than the strength of a full or new moon? Could it? Or is this just bullshit? I'm going to leave that up to you to decide. Now it's time to get technical. Technical. That was my death metal version of Let's Get Technical. I hope you liked it. Let's get technical by unscrewing the knocking box, tweaking the flibbity gibbet, and revving the out of those CSI-style crime shows, and asking, how exactly does it work? This week, the human hair. What can you tell about a person from a single strand of human hair found at a crime scene? We've all seen it on these cop shows. A policeman turns up, pulls out a pen, uses it to pick up a single strand of hair, pops that hair into an empty crisp packet, takes it to the boys down at the crime lab, and boom, the victim is identified. But, is that possible? Can you get a complete DNA match of a victim or perpetrator from a single thread of human hair? No, you can't. Currently, it is not possible to identify a person from a single strand of hair, although it is a vital piece of evidence in any inquiry. You can learn a lot from a single strand of human hair, as, unless it's cut, a human hair normally grows for up to two to six years before it naturally falls out. So you can determine some details, such as what racial group a person is, whether European, Asian or African, their hair colour, whether natural or dyed, what chemicals, toxins or heavy metals they've been exposed to, what foods they eat, what possible diseases they have, genetic disorders, health issues, as well as if they smoke, drink or do drugs. Gulp! Now, if you're worried, the drugs which can be tested from a single strand of hair includes cannabis, cocaine, opiates, amphetamines, methamphetamines, benzodiazepines, methadone, ketamine, most prescription drugs, antidepressants, neuroleptics, steroids and GHB, all from a single strand of hair. And while a urine test can reveal if you've used drugs in the last seven days, hair testing, depending on the sample, can show if you've used drugs over the past three months. Listeners, 
If you need to pause this podcast now so you can dash away and shave your head, please do. Hmm. I really hope that that is a set of hair clippers. On average, a person sheds between 100 to 150 strands of hair a day. And although the hair shaft, the strand, contains some mitochondrial DNA, this DNA is easily degraded by bacteria, fungi, ultraviolet light, bleaches, dyes and the weather, rendering it useless for testing. But it's actually the root pulp at the end of the shaft which contains the N-DNA, the nuclear DNA, which is vital for identifying a person. Sadly, the hairs that we naturally shed do not contain root pulp, but they do if they are yanked out in a violent struggle. The problem is that even this N-DNA, this nuclear DNA, found in the hair's root, quickly degrades when exposed to light, moisture and heat, making it almost useless, but not entirely useless, for identification. So the best hair strands for DNA testing are those pulled directly from the victim or the perpetrator's head, with the pulp still attached, prior to testing. And in order for a laboratory to accurately determine a person's identity, they wouldn't need just one single hair, they would need at least a hundred. So, the next time you see a TV detective picking up a single eyelash with their tweezers and getting a match to a known felon within the hour, call bullshit and check the DVD extras to see if there's an additional scene where he spends 52 days on his hands and knees, scouring the floor for another 99 more eyelashes and praying that the felon has a genetic disorder so unique that they've named a disease after him. Order! Order! The occasionally quite honourable Judge Michael presides. And in between vital court cases where I alone decide who legally owns the right to make Battenberg cakes, By personally sampling each and every one, it's a dirty job, but someone's got to do it, I state to you all, I am the law, in a voice which I hope every cop uses when they pull over Sylvester Stallone for speeding. But before that, I shall give you a quick overview of some true crime legal lingo. Silence in court. This week, please, how can you plead? In court. You may think, when a judge asks, How do you plead? that as a defendant you have just two options, guilty or not guilty. But you don't. There are several options. The three main ones are guilty. By admitting your guilt, you waive any rights and the trial can progress to sentencing without any evidence, witnesses, or even the victim being called. Most lawyers would advise against a guilty plea unless it benefits yourself by offering a more favourable sentence. That said, you may be able to withdraw a guilty plea at any time during the trial as long as sentencing has not begun. Not guilty. By admitting your innocence, even if you're guilty, This gives your legal defence time to examine and evaluate any new evidence which the prosecution may wish to present, and to mount a defence against it. So this is often the most common plea in a criminal court. No contest. 
by neither admitting your innocence or guilt with regards to the charges, the trial must proceed as if you have pleaded not guilty. But this is rarely an option that lawyers suggest taking, as by pleading neither way, it can come with some very serious consequences. And of course, you can also say nothing. Even in court, although it is not advised by your lawyer, you do not have to plead at all. In fact, unless summoned, as a defendant, you can choose to remain silent and even to fail to appear in court. But in most cases, silence or failing to appear will result in a guilty plea. I actually spent a lot of time in courts watching court cases and it's amazing the amount of time that little scrotes are brought before the judge and when asked how they plead, they will shrug and say, not bothered. Absolutely baffling. But there are also other ways that you can also plea. There is the Alford plea. This is where the defendant proclaims their innocence to the charges, but acknowledges that the evidence is sufficient to convict them should the case go to jury trial. This is based on the famous case of Henry Alford, who was charged with first-degree murder. He pleaded innocent, even though he had confessed to a witness that he had actually committed the murder. And yet, had he pleaded guilty, he may have escaped the death penalty. A conditional plea. This is where the defendant pleads guilty to the offence, but specifically reserves the right to appeal certain aspects of the charges, especially if the evidence was illegally obtained. And then, of course, more famously, there is the insanity plea. This is where the defendant admits their guilt of the charges, but claims they were not responsible for their actions by reason of insanity or lack of mental capacity. For an insanity plea to be accepted, mental health professionals on both sides will be called to give evidence on whether they agree that the defendant was not of sound mind at the time of the crime and did not understand the difference between right and wrong. This is commonly known as the McNaughton rules. But only the jury can decide if he or she was guilty of the crime. The insanity plea is accepted in the United Kingdom, Canada, Australia and almost all states in the USA, except Idaho, Kansas, Montana and Utah. But Kansas does allow a guilty but insane verdict by a jury. Whereas in the Nordic countries, insanity is not allowed as a legal defence. Therefore, in Sweden, the perpetrator is fully accountable for their crimes. In Denmark and Norway, those declared insane are not punishable for their crimes, but are committed for psychological and mental treatment. And whereas in Finland, any punishment can only be administered if the accused is declared compost mentis, meaning of sound mind. And so, for these Battenberg cakes, I find them all guilty of being rather delicious and I sentence them all to be executed by scoffing until they are digested in a big fat belly. May God have mercy on their soft spongy squares, their squishy jam filling and their yummy marzipan coating. Bring in the next scrummy defendant. Ah, Mr Eccles cake, how do you plead? Not guilty. Ah, good. Right, now, it's that time of the show where I prostitute myself 
by maybe, possibly, but not definitely playing you an advert, which may or may not make me a whole half penny. Or there could just be some silence. So... Oh, sorry, hang on. Hello? Hiya, Acast here. Oh, hi, Acast. Uh, Mike here. What's up? Uh, I'm a bit busy. <coughs> Dear Insert Name, as a much-valued podcaster of the Insert Podcast name, we value your input, stifle laughter, on a small survey we are doing. What? Now? Really? Yeah, it's well important, Mark. It affects the future of the company. <sighs> okay, fine. So, question number one. Does our office need more Jenga, less Jenga, vodka shot Jenga, or vodka sumo Jenga? Is that really the question? Yeah. I'll take it as a yes to the vodka sumo Jenga. Question two. Should we be forced to work a full two-day week? Or are we brilliant enough to just work half a day, once a month, if we're not too hungover? Uh, Sorry, what? I agree. Once a month is enough. Question three. Our jacuzzi, should it be made bigger, huger, Olympic-sized, or so big it needs its own monorail? and comes complete with giant Jenga, vodka shot dispensers, a 24-hour cupcake oven, and that special coloured chlorine which tells you if someone has done a sausage dribble in the water. (sighs) This may take a little while, folks. So here's a possible, but not definite, advert. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. With essentials like hookers, orgies and cocaine covered by expenses? Ugh, yes, I agree. Um, Acast, are there any questions in this survey about when or if you plan to play an advert in the middle of my show?
Um, let me just check. You know, Mark, I don't know. I see. And now, on with the show. It's odd, isn't it? If an actor kills enough people on screen, we worship them as a hero. And the bloodier the death, the more heroic they become. And yet, if they are associated in the death of a real person in real life, it can tarnish or even destroy their career, unless a keen-eyed publicist erases it from history. So, which celebrities have committed crimes and maybe even have blood on their hands? Find out in this week's edition of... Celebrity Death Squad! Hey, you're famous. Can I have a selfie with you? (gasps) Here's a handful for you to nibble on. US Senator Ted Kennedy. On the 18th of July 1969, on Chappaquiddick Island in Martha's Vineyard, following a party given for the Boiler Room Girls, the administrative team who'd worked on his brother Robert Kennedy's presidential campaign. Ted drove 28-year-old Mary Jo Kopechnin home in his 1967 Oldsmobile Del Monte and it is unsure why he drove off Dyke Bridge and into the Poocher Pond Inlet. Mary Jo drowned and although Ted claimed to have tried to save her, he waited nine hours before alerting the police. He was found guilty of leaving the scene of an accident and he was sentenced to two months in jail, which was suspended. Don King In 1966, at the Manhattan Tap Room, boxing promoter Don King beat to death a former employee, Sam Garrett, by repeatedly stamping on his head over a debt of just $600. He pleaded self-defense and served less than four years in prison. Former world heavyweight champion Mike Tyson described King as a wretched, slimy, reptilian motherfucker. This is supposed to be my black brother, right? He's just a bad man. A really bad man. He would kill his own mother for a dollar. He's ruthless, he's deplorable, he's greedy, and he doesn't know how to love anybody. John Landis, director of Blues Brothers, an American werewolf in London. On the 23rd of July 1982, whilst filming a stunt sequence in Indian Dunes, California, for Twilight Zone the movie, actor Vic Morrow and two Vietnamese child extras, aged six and seven, were decapitated by the blades of an out-of-control helicopter owing to unsafe pyrotechnics. Even though Landis had been repeatedly warned about the proximity of the explosions to the helicopter's rotors. Landis and four other crew members were charged with involuntary manslaughter, but Landis was later acquitted of the charges and paid $2 million to the family of each of the children who died. Roscoe Fatty Arbuckle, the silent movie star, was charged with the rape and manslaughter of Virginia Rappe following a private party in Suite 1221 of the St. Francis Hotel in San Francisco on the 5th of September 1921. It is claimed that having consumed high quantities of illegal alcohol, 
Arbuckle raped the intoxicated starlet, and his enormous bulk caused her bladder to rupture. Although many witnesses in the room stated that the attack had not taken place, it was later proved that alcohol had exacerbated her chronic cystitis, owing to an infection following a botched abortion. Arbuckle was tried three times for the rape and murder, which he didn't commit. The first two trials were hung juries, and the third jury acquitted him after just six minutes of deliberation, five minutes of which they spent writing a formal apology to Roscoe Arbuckle for his mistreatment. Michael Massey, the actor. On the 31st of March 1993, on a soundstage in Wilmington, North Carolina, whilst filming The Crow, Michael Massey accidentally shot actor Brandon Lee. A previous scene had required Massey to fire a 44 caliber magnum with dummy rounds at Lee. But when a later shot required blank rounds to be used, the props crew were unaware that a dummy round was lodged in the barrel. And when a blank round was fired, it dislodged the dummy round and Brandon Lee was shot in the abdomen from just 12 feet away. He died just a few hours later. Michael Massey quit acting for a year and right up until his recent death, he still said that he had nightmares about that day. Mark Wahlberg of Marky Mark and the Funky Bunch, The Devoted Christian and, um, actor? In 1987, following two separate incidents of racially abusing African-American children, Wahlberg was charged with attempted murder after he beat a Vietnamese man unconscious with a wooden stick while screaming at him, Vietnam fucking shit. And later that same day, he attacked a second Vietnamese man by beating him so hard that he lost an eye. Wahlberg was charged with attempted murder. He pleaded guilty to assault and was sentenced to two years in Suffolk County House of Correction, of which... He served just 45 days. He also starred in Transformers, which is a crime in its own right. John Holmes, the porn star. Following a botched robbery at the home of nightclub owner Chris Cox, which was masterminded by John Holmes, the legendary porn star whose celebrity status was declining just as his drug addiction was increasing, Cox blackmailed Holmes into murdering the leaders of the Wonderland Gang as revenge. At 4am on the 1st of July 1981, at 8763 Wonderland Avenue in Lovell Canyon, Holmes and three unidentified assailants, bludgeoned to death, Ron Lornius, Joy Miller, Billy Deverell and David Lind, using hammers and metal pipes. Only Susan Lind survived, but only just. John Holmes was charged with four counts of murder, but following a successful defence and unwilling to testify against anyone else, the four murder charges were dropped and John Holmes was sentenced to just 110 days in prison for contempt of court. Other celebrities who have famously spent time in prison for crimes and violations include Dustin Diamond, who played Screech in Saved by the Bell. He was sentenced to four months in prison following a bar fight involving a knife. 
home improvement star Tim Allen was sentenced to between three to seven years in prison for trafficking 1.42 pounds of cocaine in 1978. 50 Cent spent six months in a correctional boot camp for multiple drug charges. Jamie Waylett, who played Vincent Crabbe in the Harry Potter films, has been charged with receiving stolen goods, growing cannabis, possessing a Molotov cocktail whilst trying to loot a chemist's, and was sentenced to two years in prison for taking part in the London riots. Shelley Malil, an actor who was in The 40-Year-Old Virgin, is currently serving a life sentence for the attempted murder of his girlfriend, during which, in the attack, both her lungs collapsed and she lost half of her blood. ACDC drummer Phil Rudd has been charged with hiring a hitman to kill two people. Actor Nick Nolte once received a suspended 45-year prison sentence for counterfeiting. Randy Quaid has been charged with burglary, conspiracy and fraud. Wesley Snipes served three years in prison for income tax evasion. Leslie Grantham, a.k.a. Dirty Den East Enders, was convicted in 1966 for the murder of a West German taxi driver. And Jeffrey Jones, Ed Rooney in Ferris Bueller's Day Off, was convicted in 2002 of making child pornography. He is now a registered sex offender. And once again, although I'm not a celebrity, if anyone ever asks you if I've committed a criminal offence, don't forget to tell them I was never convicted whilst tapping your nose, and we'll say no more about it. Failing that, if I'm ever arrested, I'm hiring Bob Dylan as my lawyer. Mr Dylan, how does the defendant plead? <coughs> and let's see how they deal with that. Hey, what's that plopping through my letterbox? Is it a personal thank you from the entire population of Sri Lanka for single-handedly keeping their tea-harvesting empire afloat? Almost certainly. Is it an invitation from the Royal Academy of Dramatic Arts asking me to teach all of their students how to perform my epic range of accents? Absolutely. Is it Brad Pitt once again asking me to be his butt double in his latest film? No because that was last week. So what is it? It's the Dead Letter Drop! Yes, each week I'll read you a rather mundane letter written by a murderer. This week it's the turn of Myra Hindley, one half of the infamous Moores murderers with Ian Brady, who raped, tortured and murdered five children and buried their bodies in shallow graves denying their grieving parents any peace, resolution, answers or even a proper burial. Having shown no regret nor remorse, the Moores murderers have since the early 1960s been regarded as two of the vilest and most hated people in Britain. And they remain so for good reason. So, it seems almost ironic that we read a card with a very twee William Morris design featuring a lovely landscape of flowers and mosses, sent by Myra Hindley from HMP High Point Prison to an unidentified friend called Mark on the 15th of February 1999, where she laments 
the Christmases of her past. If you own an incredibly small violin, be prepared to play it. Dear Mac, I did hope to write to you before now to thank you for your kind card and thoughtful gift sent just before Christmas. Unfortunately, I had a prolonged bout of gastroenteritis, also known as the squits, the plops and the shits, which left me feeling tired and lethargic. I'm now attempting to catch up with neglected correspondence. Hopefully, she remembered to wash her hands. Ah, Christmas seems like a century ago. But it wasn't bad. Three of us spent it together. With very little worth watching on TV, but we watched a few videos, and the food was nicer than usual. Oh, that's nice. I remember... Years and years ago in Holloway Prison, how we were half-starved for about three months before Christmas, while the kitchen officer saved up for the Christmas meals, which were lavish. Ooh. And thus, so much was wasted and thrown away. We could have fed the pensioners for miles around, and we were half-starved for weeks afterwards because he overspent on his budget, exclamation mark. Or maybe they could have sent that excess food to, ooh, I don't know, uh, an orphanage. You know, as a nice gesture. I hope Rachel and yourself are both as well as you can be. I always remember you and your family in my prayers and ask to be remembered in yours. Yeah, Myra, I'm sure it's number one on God's to-do list, a prayer for Myra Hindley. My former priest, Bert White... It's due to return from a visit to India. I had a postcard from him last week, telling me that because of the recent spate of extremists, who are extremists? Oh, you know, those bad people who kill the innocent. Just like yourself, Myra. Apparently he's taken to wearing a turban. Once again, thank you for your lovely gift. It was very much appreciated. Hopefully that gift was a detailed map of Saddleworth Moor a marker pen and five self-addressed envelopes addressed to her victims' families. But I doubt it. When you feel like it, drop me a line and tell me how you're doing. In the meanwhile, I send you my best wishes. As always, Myra. Oh, poor Myra. She's had so many awful Christmases in prison. I hope you remember that when you're next tucking into your turkey, scoffing down your spuds and piling into the Christmas pud. And before you ask, yes, that was sarcasm. A lot of it. And finally, folks, before I toddle off to the supermarket to buy some margarine, only to come out with a multi-pack of quavers, some Cadbury's mini logs and some wagon wheels, as well as a big bag of bin liners, some blue laces, and no margarine. Here's a little splat of... Quickie News! Just for you. In the summer of 2018, 63-year-old David Pryor, who is a Conservative member of the House of Lords, whose official title is Lord Pryor of Brampton, What, 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 don't you know, tally-ho? He came home to find that the police had blocked off the street and his Vauxhall flat had been declared a crime scene 
as neighbours complained about loud music blasting from the flat and a thick red liquid, believed to be blood, oozing from under the door and onto the pavement. His door had been forced open by the police and they had entered, fearful of what they might find. Inside, the walls and the doors were dripping with blood. But there was no corpse to be found as it had already been eaten. Maybe by you, maybe by me, as the corpse's meat was on sale in the local butchers. It belonged to a pig. Yes, a real pig. It was pig's blood. And except at the slaughterhouse, no murder had taken place. But a crime had been committed as not only was Lord Pryor's flat splattered in blood, but the culprit had taken the time to daub a few unsavoury slogans across the wall, such as whore, lady slut, mags is wet between the legs, and big dick lord, next to a bloody drawing of a three-foot penis on his floor, with the remainder of the five litres of blood splashed across his bedsheets. The culprit was easy to identify, as the dirty daubing was clearly about the Tory peer and the woman he was having an affair with. And the culprit had also written him a cheque for £1,000. Her name was Lizzie Purbrick, his girlfriend and the former Olympic showjumper who had found the scoundrel in the arms of another woman. Lizzie Purbrick admitted to the charge of criminal damage she was ordered to complete 120 hours of unpaid work to pay £85 in costs and she was banned from contacting the Tory peer or visiting either of his three homes. And although his house was dripping with pig's blood, I'm sure that she would say that he was the real pig. When asked for a comment, although her lawyer said this act was completely out of character, Lizzie later said that the whole incident was rather cathartic. I bet it was. And now you know. So, my sexy pod lovers, that was your weekly dose of Mini Mile. I hope it was as funky as a chunky monkey feeling spunky, and it was an interesting companion to your regular Murder Mile, which returns in just two weeks. Next week, we have our last mini-mile before the new Murder Mile multi-part series begins. And if you have any comments, original questions you're desperate to know the answer to, or any unusual topics you'd love me to research and discuss, let me know. Contact me via email, my website, or social media. A big thank you this week to my new Patreon supporters, who are Marie Paris, Chris Lady and Vicky at Sticky Sounds Ezine for the lovely box of goodies. And of course, anyone who has shared the Murder Mile podcast with their friends, families, strangers, or random nutjobs. It's all good. Also, a big thank you to everyone who has recently bought a new Murder Mile official Murky Miler badge via the Murder Mile merch shop. Mini Mile will be back next week. But before that, here's my recommended podcasts of the week. Love to you all. 
Chatty bye If you're looking for an in-depth, detailed, academic analysis of the past, devoid of any comedy or entertainment value presented by an educated historian with a PhD, this isn't the show for you. Hi, I'm Tawny Plattis, a professional voiceover actor who gives a very casual, very Southern Californian, and hopefully very comedic retelling of the sexy, scandalous, and salacious stories from history your teacher probably left out on my podcast, The Dirty Bits. Catch the show on tawnyvoice.com or anywhere podcasts are found. Chat soon, lovebug. Hey, Christy, what do we talk about on our podcast? Well, Ashley, we talk about all kinds of weird stuff. Like aliens. And ghosts. And cults. And cryptids. And witches. And murders. Yeah, even sometimes murders. Basically, we talk about all kinds of weird shit. Oh, I already said that. Oh. So yeah, if you like weird topics, feminist rants, and the occasional F-bomb, you should listen to us. We post new episodes every other Monday. Find us online at thatsweird.org. And subscribe to That's Weird on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.